This morning's scripture reading is taken from Joshua chapter 21, verses 43 to 45. Joshua 21, 43 to 45. That's our scripture reading. And then our sermon passage is 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 21 to 28. And then skipping uh, over a number of verses in chapter 2 to verse 11. The reason that we're doing that is in order to take the narrative portion of this section altogether and then to go back and, Lord willing, next week look at Hannah's prayer, Hannah's song, and these words that she uh, cries out to the Lord in front of the high priest Eli in the tabernacle. So again, our scripture reading, 1 Samuel 1, I'm sorry, uh, Joshua 21, verses 43 to 45, and then our sermon passage is 1 Samuel 1, 21 to 28, and then verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 11. Brothers and sisters, I remind you that this is the very Word of God. There's nothing better that you can do right now, or really at any time, than to listen as the Lord's Word is read, as the Lord speaks to you. Joshua 21, 43-45 Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that He swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as He had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Now turning to 1 Samuel 1, verses 21 to 28, and chapter 2, verse 11. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she looked him up. She took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. Skipping to chapter 2, verse 11. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy ministered to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the priest. This ends the reading of God's most holy word. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we are grateful again, as always, for your word. We're thankful that we have heard it read. We're thankful, dear Lord, that we are able to join with the numberless host of those who have come before us in hearing your word read aloud in your church, in your congregation, in your holy assembly. 
Lord, we are thankful that we are privileged to hear you speak to us. Now we pray that you would bless the word as it is preached. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would guard us as a body from error. We pray, dear Lord, that you would help us to understand your word, that you would teach us from your word, and especially, dear Lord, in relation to this passage this morning, we pray that you would teach us to want to do your will. We pray that you would conform us to your will so that we want what you want, so that we love what you love and hate what you hate. So we ask, O oh Lord, by your spirit that you would teach us from your word now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you will remember, though, it was a couple of weeks ago when we were last in First uh, Samuel in chapter 1, those events that took place. We saw this family of Elkanah who were a devout family. In spite of the description that was uh, being made of God's people at that time, that we saw several times over in the book of Judges that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Elkanah and his family, Hannah, and to a lesser degree, but, but still Peninnah and her children with Elkanah, they were careful to observe the religious duties that they had to keep those vows that they had made. They would go up to uh, the holy place at that time, to Shiloh, where the tabernacle of the Lord was. But we also read about how when they would go up, presumably at other times as well, but it seemed especially at those times when they would go up to Shiloh from Ramah, that Peninnah, the second wife of Elkanah, Peninnah, the wife who might have had as many, it seems, as ten children to Hannah's none, Peninnah would torment Hannah. She would mock her. She would cause her to weep. And in Elkanah's sort of ham-handed uh, uh, way of doing so, in his efforts to, to make Hannah feel better, to let her know that he loved her more than Peninnah, giving her a double portion of all of the food that was available and only a single portion to Peninnah and her children, it only made matters worse. It exa exacerbated the situation. It aggravated the relationship between these two wives of Elkanah and resulted in Hannah weeping before this feast resulted in Hannah having no appetite or ability to eat the food that Elkanah had given to her. And so shortly after these events, shortly after Elkanah feeling bad and perhaps sorry for himself asked, Hannah, am I not worth more to you than ten sons? Hannah rises from the table, having eaten nothing of the food that was there, and goes into the tabernacle and there she bows down and prays to the Lord. And she does so with such fervency, but also so quietly that the high priest there, Eli, in somewhat of a foreshadowing of what will happen later in Eli's life when he's older and can't uh, see very well, he mistakes her for being a drunk woman who has stumbled into the tabernacle and who is simply mumbling gibberish there. In that prayer, Hannah utters a vow. She seeks, in a sense, to strike a deal with Yahweh. She asks Yahweh, if you will give to me a son, I will give him back to you. And so this woman, who for years now has longed for a child, 
has reached a point in her life where she is willing, if she is given the thing that she longs for the most, she's willing to give that child back over to the Lord. And so now in this passage, we, before us today, we reach that point when Hannah is supposed to fulfill the vow that she made to the Lord. She's supposed to carry out her end of the deal. The Lord gave to her a son. She named him Samuel. And now she's supposed to, to carry out her end of the bargain, as it were. Well, chapter 1 of 1 Samuel, it's been sympathetic to Hannah up to this point. The previous passages that we've read, they cast Hannah in a very favorable light, showcasing her willingness to give up to the Lord the one thing that she wanted most. But in our passage this morning, and perhaps you picked up on it either in in private reading of this passage in the past or in the previous week, or perhaps as it was read aloud this morning, we we find an, an undertone of uncertainty. And that undertone of uncertainty is expressed by Elkanah, her husband, as to whether or not Hannah is going to follow through with the promise that she made to the Lord. Now, we all here, most of us, I think, have not come to this passage this morning hearing it for the very first time. Perhaps some of you have. But most of us know the rest of the story. We know what's going to happen. Of course, Hannah gives her child up to the Lord. But I think that a careful reading of the passage, a close reading of the passage, it helps us to realize that there is a certain degree of uncertainty as to whether Hannah will do this or not. So the thought that I would ask for you to keep before you as we work our way through the sermon this morning is this, that God's Spirit conforms us to His will, grants our petitions, and makes us able to keep the vows that we have taken before Him. God's Spirit conforms us to His will, grants to us our petitions, and makes us able to keep the vows that we have taken before him. The sermon is divided up into three sections. The first, a cone of uncertainty. The second, a secret resolve revealed. And the third, the faithfulness of the Father. Again, the first point, a cone of of uncertainty. The second, a secret resolve revealed. And the third, the faithfulness of the Father. So let's look now at this first point, a cone of uncertainty. I find it a little surprising, by way of explaining to you the title of this point, that as weather forecasting has become increasingly accurate in recent years, and it truly has, and it's amazing the amount of notice that people can get that something like a hurricane, a powerful storm is headed their way, that that despite the fact that we have increasingly accurate forecasts, the term cone of uncertainty has become more commonly used when weathercasters are talking about the predicted track of a hurricane. Now, I don't remember hearing this term or this phrase used 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Perhaps it was. My recollection is such that I don't remember it. But it's almost as if these weather forecasters, the meteorologists, the the people who work for the National Weather Service, it's almost as if the more that they know causes them to be even more aware of the fact that there is a great deal that they don't know. The old adage attributed apparently to Einstein, the more I know, the more I know that I don't know. Perhaps that's in play here. And so they will have the most likely track of a hurricane, and it's buffered on either side by this cone of uncertainty that might span hundreds of miles across. 
Now, as was already mentioned in the introduction, there is a bit of uncertainty in this passage about whether or not Hannah will keep the vow that she made to Yahweh to give up her son to him if he gave to her a son. There is, if you will, a cone of uncertainty, albeit a small one, in our text. It's a small one, but it's also a subtle one. Now, in the preceding passage, Hannah and the son she had longed for, uh, she had that son, and in verse 20, she named that son Samuel, which sounds like the Hebrew word, heard of God. The uncertainty is introduced in verses 21 and 22 of our passage this morning. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow, but Hannah did not go up. For she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Now we saw early on in 1 Samuel that, that this family, Elkanah and Hannah and less so Peninnah, this was a family who was devoted to the Lord, consistently going up to Shiloh to worship God there. But now for the first time in this story about Elkanah and Hannah, at what appears to be the first opportunity that Hannah has to actually fulfill the vow that she made to Yahweh, she defers to a later time. She says she'll take him up when Samuel is weaned. And so here's that little bit of uncertainty introduced into the text. And Elkanah expresses a note of, of skepticism. In verse 23, he says, Do what is best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Now this sounds very innocuous in the way that the ESV translated it, but a more literal translation of the original here would be this. Do what seems good in your eyes. What does that remind you of? It's hard to know for sure if this is the way that Elkanah means it, but this is very close to, but not identical with, the last verse of the book of Judges in chapter 21, verse 25, where we read, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It's not the same, but it certainly has echoes of that verse. And so is Elkanah making a subtle jab at his wife? Is he saying, in effect, okay, do whatever you want. It's possible that he's not completely on board with this scheme that Hannah has hatched to give up his first son with his beloved wife forever, all of the days of his life. It may actually be, we have to... We have to say this, it's important that we say this, it may actually be that Elkanah meant these words completely innocently. But given their history, given what has already been recorded in the chapter so far, given Hannah's former sorrow, it would have been easy for her to take his words as ambiguous as they were and think that he wasn't being so innocent here. But it does seem that Elkanah would have been somewhat surprised that Hannah didn't go up with him this time. Her, her plan to wait until he was weaned seems to, to catch him off guard. This wasn't what he was expecting. They're going up. Come on, this is what we always do. However, it is important to note that in our passage, Hannah herself never gives any indication that she is having second thoughts about fulfilling her vow to God. Elkanah continues in verse 23, Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. Now, Akana may be wondering if Hannah is going to go through with it, but ultimately he knows that Hannah must keep the vow that she has made to God. 
it's interesting here that you might expect for Hannah to, for, for Elkanah rather, to say something like this, only may you keep your word. And some alternate texts of this passage indeed have that. Uh, but the majority texts, most of the texts have, may the Lord establish his word. But what Elkanah is getting at is not only that the Lord will, will fulfill his promises, but that the Lord will cause Hannah to fulfill her promises, her vows. And that's why he offers up this prayer of sorts. He's in essence saying God's will be done. And he's saying, may you do God's will to Hannah. He wants God's word to stand. He doesn't want it to fall. He wants God to carry out his holy will. And if Samuel being given up to serve the Lord for the rest of his life is part of God's holy will, then so be it. So ultimately, Elkanah, as uncertain as he possibly may be, ultimately, he's saying here, the Lord's will, Yahweh's will be done. Not mine. Not even Hannah's, if it doesn't agree with God's will. But the Lord's will be done. The end of verse 23 says, So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And most commentators of this passage agree that this would have been between two and three years from the time of Samuel's birth until he was weaned, until he was no longer nursing. And so it was some time before Hannah would have to give him up. It was some time before Hannah paid her vow. But that time in some ways, many ways, the time of, of nursing and the bonds that are established between mother and child in the act of breastfeeding, that time would have made it even more difficult for Hannah to keep the vow that she had made to the Lord. Well, the second point, a secret resolve revealed. All that time, presumably, Elkanah, Peninnah, and their children went up to Shiloh during those two to three years uh, of, of Hannah nursing Samuel up until he was weaned. The rest of them went up at these regular intervals to offer sacrifices and worship to God, but Hannah and Samuel didn't. And verse 24 marks a shift. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. It's, it's very simple. There's not a lot of fanfare here in terms of the language in this verse. It's very simple. It's, a, it's an uncelebrated fulfillment of the vow that Hannah had made to the Lord. It's quiet obedience, faithful obedience. Not a lot of symbols clanging when Hannah does what she's supposed to do. Hannah was true to her word to Elkanah, but more importantly, she was true to her word to Yahweh. I think it may be an important point in the sermon to say this. Don't get any ideas. Don't go dropping off your freshly weaned child at the steps or the entrance to this church, please. So that that child may... Serve before the Lord all the days of his life. Remember, we have to discern whether a passage is simply descriptive of events that took place or prescriptive, telling us what we ought to do. And make no mistake, this passage is descriptive. I won't be able to handle your, your little children if you bring them and drop them off. 
But that does raise an interesting question that the text doesn't quite answer. Who is going to take care of little Samuel? Would Eli take care of little Samuel? Would his worthless sons, as chapter 2, verse 12 describes them, take care of Samuel? That's the question, and the text doesn't really tell us. But in Exodus chapter 38, verse 8, in the midst of describing, describing the construction of the Ark of the Covenant and the altar of incense and the altar of the burnt offering, burnt offering we read uh, there in verse 8 of Exodus 38, He, that is Bezalel, uh, made the basin of bronze and its stand of bronze from the mirrors of the ministering women who ministered in the entrance of the tent of meeting. Now that passage in Exodus, it's describing what took place hundreds of years prior to the events that are taking place here in 1 Samuel. But 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 22 shows that this practice of ministering women outside the tabernacle continued. Now if you read ahead to that, it's in the section that's talking about these worthless sons of Eli. And the passage there is not really uh, uh, describing wholesome activities of both the sons of Eli and these women who ministered at the entrance to the tent of meeting. But what it does tell us is that there are still women who are participating. They're, they're there. They're outside the tabernacle. They're, they're ministering uh, at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Whatever that means, there's not a lot of explanation in Scripture to tell us. But most likely, some of the ministering women uh, took care of Samuel when he was little. And so it wasn't so much that you think of a two-year-old or a three-year-old and still how much that little child needs someone to look after him. And we will read later on that, that Hannah does come up annually to see her son. She, she brings these little garments that he's supposed to wear. But somebody needs to be a mother to this child. And clearly Eli and, and his sons aren't the ones to do that. Well, not only did Hannah bring Samuel, but she also brought a three-year-old bull, roughly the same age as Samuel. Perhaps there's some, some significance there. She brought an ephah, which is a huge amount of flour, and she brought a skin of wine. And when they got to Shiloh, verse 25 says that they, that is she, and we have to infer here Elkanah because verse 11 of chapter 2 says that he went back to Ramah from, from Shiloh. Uh, she and Elkanah slaughtered the bull and brought Samuel to Eli. We ought to note, and there may be a footnote in some of your Bibles, that the Septuagint and a few other man manuscripts say that it, was, uh, that it was a three-year-old bull, but the Masoretic text, which is the primary Hebrew text for the Old Testament, it says that they brought three bulls to Shiloh. Not one three-year-old bull, but three bulls to Shiloh. It's not necessarily a mistake. In one sense, it's, it's not of major importance. But it, if it is the case, then it could be that Hannah is sacrificing one bull for every year that she missed going up to Shiloh while Samuel was still nursing. Either way, Hannah wishes to pay not only the vow that she made to the Lord about Samuel, but also her vow to worship the Lord, as Elkanah had done in those years when she had not been able to go. Let's look now at the third Point, the faithfulness of the father. In verse 26, Hannah is speaking to the high priest Eli and says, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I'm the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. Now here she's reminding Eli that she's the woman from a few years ago who was praying in the tabernacle who he thought was mumbling because she was drunk. And she reveals to him 
that the thing that she was praying for was that she would have a son. She didn't tell him that at the time, those years prior, but she tells him now, I was praying for a son, and guess what? Here he is. I prayed for a son, and I made a vow that if I got a son, I was going to bring him to you. So here you go. Have fun. She tells the priest that the Lord granted her petition. This barren woman has now been given a child. And now she says in verse 28 that she is lending him to Yahweh for as long as he he lives. Whether that's 20 years or 50 years or 80 more years, he is the Lord's. The, The bull or bulls, the ephah of flour, the skin of wine, all of these are expressions of Hannah's gratitude to God for giving her a child. She's not doing this grudgingly. She's not dragging her feet wishing that she hadn't made such a, such a rash vow that she now has to carry out. She's doing so joyfully, willingly. And so she understands that God has heard her prayers, but she is now proclaiming it to the high priest of the Lord at Shiloh. Hannah's prayer to the Lord in verse 11, it contained the petition to be given a son, but it also contained her vow to God. And we saw a few weeks ago when we considered that this verse, when we considered this verse, that it isn't a prayer that a person can pray and sincerely mean without having been conformed to the will of the Lord by God himself. You cannot pray this kind of prayer and mean it if God has not made you able to pray it and mean it. And Hannah here shows that she meant what she prayed. She meant the vow that she took. Hannah has been shaped and refined and conformed to God in such a way that she was able to pray in perfect accordance with God's will. She prayed that God would give her a son after years and years of barrenness that she would in time give back to God. God made her able to pray such a prayer sincerely. And God also made her able to keep her vow, to give up her son. God had brought her to the point of wanting what God wants. God had made Hannah able to do something that it appears at least her husband had concerns about her being able to do. Now over the years when we receive new members into the church, and, and we've, uh, we, we, we will be in, in due time, we have families who are, are ready to to come before you and to take vows before you of membership. But over the years when we do this, and and some of these members have been taking vows, on occasion we'll hear something, maybe not you uh, in the congregation, but but those of us near them up front, we'll hear something like, I do, so help me God. Because they realize, and this is not mandatory, this is just uh, something done spontaneously, volitionally on on the part of those who take these vows, but they they realize the weight of of what these vows mean. That I will put to death, I am vowing to put to death the sins in my own life. I'm vowing to, to renounce the world I'm vowing to fight against the devil and all of his schemes. I'm vowing to subject myself to the authority of this church and to heed its discipline in case I should be found delinquent in faith or in life. 
And so there, there are some over the years who, who sort of whisper as a part of their vow, oh Lord, please help me keep these vows. That vow to serve God with all that is in you, along with what follows, is a daunting vow for many people to take. They recognize that it is impossible for them to keep that vow apart from God's grace making them able to do so. And Hannah, I think, when she thanked God for granting her petition, she also thanked Him for helping her to keep her vow. An impossible vow for her to keep, humanly speaking. For a woman who had been begging for a child for perhaps a decade. After Hannah's prayer, which comes up in chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, which is understood by many to be a song, We'll get that to that next week. Chapter 2, verse 11 says this, Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Now this is actually the first time since verse 23 of chapter 1 that we hear anything about Elkanah. It is the first confirmation that we have that he went with his wife after Samuel was weaned in order to bring him to the tabernacle. And it closes out the narr- this narrative part uh, in, in the book of Samuel. The focus of the narrative will shift from Hannah and Elkanah to the priests in the tabernacle and then ultimately to the young boy Samuel who is going to be the herald of the king of the Lord. But in the opening chapter of 1 Samuel, we have the privilege of witnessing a woman's will being in perfect accord with the will of God, at least as it pertained to her son Samuel. This does not mean that Hannah has achieved some sort of sinless perfection in this life, but with regard to this petition that she made to the Lord, this request that she made to Him, the vow that she took, her will was in perfect accord with the will of the Lord. God had transformed her to a point where she was willing to give up the one thing that she wanted the most after it had finally been granted to her, her firstborn, her son, And as far as she knew at that point, her only son. Her will had been very much made like the will of God. The father too was willing to give up his son. So that he, the son of God, might be the firstborn among many brothers, as Paul puts it in Romans chapter 8. Hannah's will was very much in accord with the father's will. But in that passage, in Romans chapter 8, it is striking that in verse 29 of that passage, that the way that Christ is the firstborn among many brothers is because God predestined those who were called according to His purpose to be conformed to the image of God. If you are a brother or sister of the Father's only begotten Son, you are being conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. You are growing in your desire to want what God wants, to love what He loves, and to hate what He hates. Another way to put this is is this way. If you are being conformed to the image of the Son, you are a brother or a sister of Jesus Christ. And so if you find yourself... On occasion, perhaps, every once in a while, if you find yourself going, whoa, wait a minute. I would have never even prayed a prayer like that five years ago, much, much less actually wanted it, to, meant it to happen. Then you can have at least a little bit of assurance that the Lord is actively working in you by His Spirit to conform you into the image and the likeness of His perfect Son. 
Hannah was conformed to the image of the Son of God to the point that she was willing to give up her son so that he might live in service to God all of the days of his life. God the Father was willing to give up His only begotten Son, even to death on a cross, so that you and I and many brothers and sisters like us might live in service to God all the days of our lives, both here on earth and also for eternity with God in His holy eternal temple. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you will believe in Him or if you do believe in Him, you will be transformed by God's Spirit and you will be conformed to the image of the Son. He will establish His Word in you just the way that He did with Hannah. He will make you able to want what He wants And He will give you the desire and the ability to keep those promises that you have made to the Lord and to others. Those things which the Lord has commanded you to do, He gives you the desire to do them. He gives you the ability to do them. He fulfills His commandments in you and through you in perfect accord with your will which is being transformed from day to day into the image and the likeness of His only begotten Son. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God, Heavenly Father, we do pray that in making us like our mother in the faith, Hannah, You would make us like Your perfect, beloved only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for a beautiful example that we have of Hannah's faith. But more than that, dear Lord, we thank you because we know that you are the one who caused Hannah to do it. You're the one who made her able to do what she had promised to do. We pray, dear Lord, that you would help us to do the same, that you would make us able to do the same. May we, O Lord, be in submission to your will. May we accept your will. No matter what that will is and no matter how hard it may be for us. May we, O Lord, bring glory to your holy name as you conform us into the image and the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name.